so uh, we're at this place in the book of Deuteronomy where Moses has been recounting the law, and uh, he is doing that for the younger generation. Uh, the older generation has passed away, and the younger generation is going to enter into the land, and they uh, have not uh, been uh, taught, steeped in the word, in, in the law, the way that the previous generation had. Uh, so now there is this recounting of the law and its details, summaries of sections, summaries of the entirety are given, and uh, you come to this place where uh, Moses gives this explanation of if you'll adhere to these things, then you're going to have great blessing. Uh, if you do not follow the Lord, then you're going to experience very specific hardships. And uh, we talked about the fact that these are, in fact, spiritual laws. Uh, we, we talked about how there are natural laws, right? If, if you, uh, you know, go up on the roof of your house and decide that you know how to fly and jump off, right? God's laws of gravity are going to take over and you're going to plummet to the earth and be injured. There's a law put in place. God doesn't hate you. Uh, he's designed a law that helps in lots of areas. And if you try to defy that law, then uh, you're going uh, to suffer the consequences of defying that law. Uh, spiritual laws are, are in place. People today recognize them. I have a pet peeve about people using this term uh, instant karma, right? Uh, there is no such thing. Uh, but even within this, the Lord is going to say to the nation of Israel, because you've looked to the other nations and because you've followed after their gods and because you think that there's some hope, some power, some thing that is trustworthy there, you've fallen into these terrible places and now call upon those gods and see if they can help you. Our nation has departed from worshiping Jesus Christ. It has looked to the Eastern mysticisms. It has looked to reincarnation and the gurus and the thought of karma as though it were real and it's false, right? That you only get to live once. You don't get to live multiple times, right? It is appointed unto man once to die and then the judgment. That's a law, just like gravity. It's a God-designed law. Our society witnesses God's law of sowing and reaping. Someone does something terrible, right after that, something terrible happens to them. And they, because our culture has become fascinated with Eastern mysticism, say instant karma. No, that's God's law of sowing and reaping. And so it is here. Moses is saying to them, these things are going to happen. If you follow the Lord, great blessing. If you reject the Lord, then you're going to experience these things specifically. And, and so here, as this goes to the nation of Israel, we can very easily overlay it upon ourselves and see what's happening in our own lives personally and within our nation as it has been birthed in Christianity and gone through all of the course of prosperity and the rejection of Jesus Christ as our God and King. 
and now we're in this massive deterioration and we're going to suffer the consequences. This is God's law. We jumped off the roof long ago. And what we're experiencing is all the brutal concussion of colliding with the results of sin in individual lives and as a nation. Moses has said all of this to them and then written a song. And here we're in the midst of recounting the song that contains these things. I'm not going to sing it for us this morning. We're just going to read through and uh, take a look at what's said here. I don't actually know the melody, so it would be impossible. Uh, so uh, he, we're right in the middle of the song uh, in verse 13. We had talked about how the Lord... Uh, you know, guards, guides, protects, you know, like the apple of his eye, his people, uh, how the, he, like a, a parent, would stir up the nest and teach the young how to uh, fly by hovering over them, spreading out its wings. Uh, and uh, we talked about Dr. Clayton White and uh, all that he had discovered in, in uh, studying eagles and what is implied in these verses. And then in verse 13, it says, He made him ride in the heights of the earth. He may he that he might eat the produce of the fields. He made him draw honey from the rock and oil from the flinty rock, uh, curds from the cattle, uh, you know, cheese and milk and milk of the flock, uh, specifically the goats and and the sheep, with fat of the lambs and rams of the breed of Bashan and goats with the choicest wheat. And you drank wine, the blood of the grapes. Uh, but Jeshurun grew fat and kicked. So uh, this term, again, I just want to clarify, we get this uh, term Jeshurun given to us a few times. It's, it's referring to Israel in this case. Um, I, I guess literally it would mean the upright in heart. Uh, so it, it can be used... Uh, you know, in other contexts, it's an idiom, and uh, here the Lord is using it uh, to refer to the nation of Israel. And, and in particular, all of this prosperity, all of this growth, all of this capability, the flight like an eagle, all that's been recorded, uh, that abundance has become a rebellion. Uh, there was a Scottish theologian who in the 1700s, uh, you'll have to do your research because I've forgotten. I think his name was Chambers. He uh, drew uh, what became known as the, the body politic. And uh, he took that uh, from many other descriptions of the development of nations and how they come into being and how they reach their peak and how they then decline. And he, he drew it as a circle. Because his reference was speaking of Israel, and they've gone through this cycle repeatedly. And there are a couple different variations that you can find, but it basically goes like this. That every nation, historically, every single nation that has ever come into being, starts in a place of bondage. So you can look at this like a pie chart, and you can... You know, depending on the nation, you can look at the various sizes of each section. But this this happens with every single nation. Now, for the nations that do know do not know God and do not worship God, this is a straight line. Okay, they have a beginning, they reach a peak, 
and they go through a decline, and then they cease to exist. They are not anymore. The only one that has ever uh, experienced this in a circle where they come back to the beginning and start again is Israel. That's it. And that's because God preserves them. And he's going to talk about his, his preservation and his work in the nation of Israel. But it begins in bondage. So there is a people, whoever they may be, who are in any various degree of bondage, slavery, servitude to others, but they are bound. They are, they are an enslaved people. Uh, in that bondage comes enlightenment. And historically, this comes in, in many different ways. It can be science. It can be uh, you know, education. It can be <clears throat> intelligence. It can just be inspiration uh, for the nation of Israel. It is the word of God. It is their relationship with the Lord. For America, it is the great awakening that occurred here in this nation as preachers were speaking of repentance and the need for sincere relationship with God and people got right with the Lord. And so as a result, uh, you had the bondage, right, uh, for the nation of Israel, uh, in particular inside Egypt for the nation of America under the tyrannical rule of England and Europe, uh, the inspiration comes. And so from bondage, you experience inspiration. In inspiration, the next phase is great courage. So uh, before the freedom comes, the inspiration has to change to people actually being brave enough to take the next step. So the great courage then results in conflict, which results in freedom, liberty. In liberty, then there are various degrees. You change the pie slice, to big or small. Then the prosperity uh, for that, that is birthed from the freedom, prosperity, happens. Uh, the next thing that happens is lethargy. Okay. Uh, the the lack of motivation happens. Uh, after lethargy comes dependence. After dependence comes bondage. Begins in bondage for those nations that don't know the Lord. They go through a peak and then they decline back into bondage. And then they cease to exist. They are no more. Uh, you can look back through history and see that over Israel comes to the place of bondage, and in their bondage, they repent of their sins, and the inspiration is restored to them. The, and, and, and let's be clear: we talk about inspiration. Right? He's an inspirational speaker. Okay, uh, uh, he's maybe a motivational speaker. Okay, because the term inspiration, you can hear in it the word spirit. You can't be inspired without the Holy Spirit, inner spirit, right? So true inspiration only comes from the Holy Spirit. That's it. That's the only way that it occurs. So, so in bondage, full circle, the people repent of their sins, and usually they listen to the voice of a prophet who comes and speaks to them. And in speaking to them, they receive the word of God. They accept what the Lord is saying, and great courage is born. And then from the great courage, conflict, and then birthed into freedom. And then, you know, 
the freedom, prosperity, and they cycle back around. Here's the thing. We are right now in the place of dependence as a nation. We are in the place of dependence. The, the thing that lies directly in front of us is bondage. End of discussion. And I've said many times before, you know, there are a number of people in our midst that are saying it's time to rise up. It's time to conquer. It's time to overthrow. Uh, no, thank you very much, because that will hasten the bondage. Okay, we're in the place of dependence. You start trying to throw off the authorities that have got us in their grip, and what are they going to do? They're going to tighten that grip. They're going to enslave. Okay, you want to see liberty come? You want to see freedom come? Get on your knees and pray for the inspiration to come, that the Holy Spirit would deliver people from their sin. Because here's the thing. We're going into bondage. God's laws, these cycles that occur, you can't break the cycle. Oh, we're better. We're different. We're Americans. Yeah, have you noticed what Americans are? We're the, leader ex we're the leading export of every sin and vice available on planet Earth. That's, that's who we are as a nation. Pornography, drunkenness, perversion, right? <clears throat> you, do you guys know that the Philippines are the capital of child prostitution? That's The Philippines are the capital of child prostitution. And we've heard about Americans that go there. And, uh, you know, everybody probably remembers Jared, who was the representative for Subway. Remember that guy? Yeah. Traveling to the Philippines. Okay. Uh, the, number one, the number one customer for child prostitution in the Philippines are American businessmen. America needs to repent. Okay. And the list is very long. And the, the beautiful thing is you can make sure none of that list belongs to you. And in the, in the result, you get to experience the blessing of the Lord. The prosperity, Jeshurun, right? The one, the upright, the submitted one to God grew fat and kicked. Kicked against God is, is what's being said. This is not unique. We sort of read it and think like, oh, what a shame. Yeah, every time it happens, whenever God's people rebel against him. So read it as a whole, 32 verse 15, but Jeshurun grew fat and kicked. You grew fat and grew thick. I, I get that way, you know, mentally thick, thick as a brick, they used to say, you know, unintelligent, grew thick. You are obese, then he forsook God who made him and scornfully esteemed the rock of his salvation. So for Israel, in this specific case, you know, uh, that's speaking of God, and they have the image of the rock that was with them in the wilderness that gave them water. So they, they have this life sense of the rock and what it means to them as far as it being God and it providing them life. They provoked him to jealousy with foreign gods. That's quite a concept that God can be provoked to jealousy. Consider that. Consider that. That we can do things 
that would make God jealous. Uh, you know, uh, some people imply that jealousy is somehow wrong. Okay, <clears throat> you know, okay, within like a teenage sense of high school drama weirdness, jealousy, right? But I, I, it is very appropriate in this setting because God is making it reflective of marriage, right? A wife should be jealous if her husband is off with another woman laughing and flirting and having a good time or even worse things are occurring. A wife should be jealous. A husband should be jealous. And this is what the Lord is saying. You belong to me. We're in a relationship. I have provided you all of these good things and now you are acting like these good things come from gods that aren't even real. You're worshiping false gods and you're attributing your abundance, you're attributing your great wealth, you're attributing your you know, fullness here to something other than God. It's a scary thing to consider how this will turn out. They provoked him to jealousy with foreign gods, with abominations they provoked him to anger. Verse 17, they sacrificed to demons, not to God. To gods, notice the lowercase g, they did not know. To new gods, new arrivals that your fathers did not fear. Of the rock who begot you, uh, you were unmindful and have forgotten the God who fathered you. He's literally putting this sense forward in the strongest terms of God being a father. It's the idea of literally siring a child. That, 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 that the child born, the nation born here, came directly from the body, the person of God. I'm the one that brought you into existence. I'm the one that gave you life. And, and you're now acting like, who are you? you know, and it, it isn't even a defiance thing as much as it is. It's literally they're acting like they don't recognize him. God is deeply offended, right? Parents, imagine. Imagine what you would do to your child if you arrived in a setting where they were being sinful and misbehaving and you spoke to them and tried to pull them out of that and correct them them and set them aright and and they just tell you off like you're a total stranger fly in your face not not just out of like teenage angry rebellion literally with the attitude of who the heck do you think you are like you're a stranger imagine what that would do to your heart imagine you know your calm you know reaction that might result in you go insane Right? You'd, pre, you'd be put in jail. You'd probably be choking somebody in a half a second. You know what I'm saying? Maybe not even your own child. Just the per, I don't know. Your reaction's going to be aggressive. And this is what the Lord is saying right here. You've you got to understand that some of these things, some of these ways we behave, we're, we're created in the image of God. Now, we're sinful, but God is emotional. And, and God instilled those things in us, right? He's not Dr. Spock. 
You know, he, he isn't an emotionless, you know, sort of calculated, uh, you know, always logical being. He's, he's impassioned. And right now, he's being incensed with jealousy and anger over the way that this nation, Israel, is acting towards him. Now, in particular, he makes a reference here, and I want to dwell on it for a moment. In verse 17, they sacrificed to demons, and then he tells us, that the demons they are sacrificing to are the idols that they are sacrificing to. These gods, lowercase g, to gods they did not know. So, so the Lord is, is taking these seemingly disconnected things and he's aligning them for the participants and saying, these are one and the same. Would, would you worship a demon? You know, and, and most everybody with common sense, even if they're not a Christian, would, would say, good grief now, you know. I, I, I've seen Amityville Horror. I want nothing, you know what I'm saying? They just immediately are like, no, that's stupid. Would you worship a demon? No, I wouldn't worship a demon. Well, here, uh, God is saying the idols you're worshiping are demons. So now move forward. And I, I've actually heard, uh, I'm going to reference 1 Corinthians chapter 10, 19 and 20, I've actually heard um, people say that this is teaching us that idols aren't demons. And, and I just want to clarify what the scripture says here. So we're in the New Testament. Paul is writing to the church at Corinth, and he's talking to them about the spiritual stumblings that they have had in the past, complete failures even, they've had in the past and how it's affecting them now and there are things creeping into the church and affecting people so he gives a clarity when he says in first corinthians chapter 10 beginning at verse 19 what am i saying then that an idol is anything or what is offered to idols is anything it's, it's a block of wood right is what he's saying you know it's a chunk of metal <clears throat> you know what is it it's just a chunk of metal it's just a block of wood. It's been neatly carved. It's been, you know, artistically painted. Who, who knows? Whatever. It's a god. Lowercase g. What is it? It's nothing. But he's clarifying, rather, verse 20, that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. And I do not want you to have fellowship with demons. Don't act like, oh, it's nothing. It's just a block of wood. Yeah, right. It's just a block of wood. Right. It's just a chunk of metal that has been molded. You're correct. Uh, I don't really worship Buddha. A friend of mine just gave me that statue, and I keep it here in my bedroom. You know, it's a cool incense burner. It represents demonic worship is what Paul is saying. Yeah, yeah, right. That is nothing in itself. It's, it's not as though that thing has power, good or evil. But what it represents and what it's attached to spiritually represents the demonic. And that's what you need to be very aware of. Uh, what, what is behind the thing. Take it a step further. Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. Jesus speaking said, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal 
to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Right? That sort of it falls on a, a deaf American ear. Okay? Uh, the word mammon means money. It, it also has the sense of power, right? That people with money have power and vice versa. Uh, so those that worshipped mammon, right, were, were seeking power, political power, worldly power, business power. They wanted to be powerful people and they wanted to have money. Money and power were mammon. And he's saying, you cannot serve <clears throat> mammon, the sense of money and power, <coughs> and serve God at the same time. Again, that's Jesus speaking. That isn't to say <clears throat> Christians can't be wealthy. Again, I, I don't know. I'm not saying that from some position of knowledge. I'm just saying I have seen, <clears throat> I have seen godly people who are ridiculously wealthy and their entire use and purpose for those things is to serve the Lord. And I do mean their entire use and purpose for those things. I've also met people who are ridiculously wealthy who are convinced that God has given them all, all of this money uh, because he wants them to use it for the kingdom and that they're the greatest thing since sliced bread inside Christianity as they wreak havoc on the body of Christ with their money. They use their money to influence and twist and destroy and create what they want to or undo what they want to. They wield it around, and God doesn't intend that in any way. Uh, you know, this, this sense of money, I, I like the way the old pastors used to say, uh, money is an awesome tool. It's a very cruel master. If it, if it controls you, it does wicked things to you. So, you know, whether we're talking, right, because um, Chuck Missler did a series. You can still find it online. Uh, it's called As the God You Worship. And he goes through a list of the most prominent ancient gods. There are, there are millions of them. But he, he goes through a list of all of the ancient gods. So uh, Bacchus, the god of wine, the god of drunkenness. Uh, you know, Ashtoreth, Diana, uh, you know, goes by a few other names in history. Uh, the goddess of fertility or sexual pleasure. Uh, you know, things that we would know and understand. Mammon, the god of money, right? Uh, the god of war, uh, you know, violence, strength has taken many different forms. Well, <clears throat> historically, if you look back, at what the ancients worshipped, whatever god they were worshipping, you, be, you become like the god you worship. You take on that god's characteristics. So, so we need to focus our hearts, our minds, and lives upon Jesus Christ, who he is, his character, continuously be in fellowship, and we will become like him in the process. And, I mean, what's not to like about Jesus? The more you study, the more you know Jesus, the more you're like, that'd be wonderful if I could be like Jesus. It'd be even better if you were like Jesus. You know, There's a great blessing to anyone who would experience that. Now, you know, consider, uh, you know, one of the things uh, that uh, Mammon did to achieve power 
and wealth was sacrificed his own child. In the ancient world, those that truly worshipped mammon would often sacrifice their firstborn child to mammon. Uh, they and I'm going to go through this for you because I want to make a point. Uh, they would put their newborn child, brand new, just out of the womb, in a jar. Sometimes they would kill the child with a, a wooden stick in the jar. Other times they would just put offerings inside the jar with the child and then seal the child in the jar. Ceramic jar. Stay with me for the brutality of this. They would then place that jar in the wall, right? If they had their, their business already built, they would take stones out and put the jar in and build stonework around it so the jar was visible. As to those who would come and experience their business, and also other worshipers of mammon would recognize the jar and identify with, I worship mammon and you worship mammon, let me support your business. Okay? Giving up their first child in order to be successful in business. Okay, now, let's, let's do a modern overlay here for a minute, right? Because I'm watching, again, you see one face, right? I see all of your faces. I look around and you're all grimacing. You're all wincing. Some of you are like twitching over. That is horrendous. Okay, now, now consider how many young men and women in college preparing for their career have an abortion. Sacrifice their first child or more in order to achieve their education, in order to achieve success in business. You guys, <clears throat> it still goes on. No, no, no. I don't just mean the brutality. The worship of mammon still goes on. Right? Every single one of these gods. Bacchus is still being worshipped. Right? Bacchus represented himself, it's interesting, Bacchus represented himself as strong and influential, but interestingly enough, the actual image of the god was lazy, unproductive, overweight, right, big, Bacchus, surrounded by beautiful women, <laughs> but not in worship. What What is, you know, all of these alcohol companies, what are they promoting continuously? The, the image doesn't match what's really there, does it? I mean, wh what does alcohol actually produce? <laughs> Death and destruction and mayhem and, right? It's ridiculous, the contrast that are there. Do your own investigation. Uh, back to the discussion uh, here, the Lord is saying, you're honoring these gods, but really you're in pursuit of demons. This, this isn't just, you know, somebody's clever carving. You're, you're taking your energies, which should have been expended upon the Lord to see his fruitfulness and his work in your life. And instead, you're, you're expending it upon demonic influences, which are destroying your life. 
You're going to suffer the consequences. Verse 19, when the Lord saw it, he spurned them. He rejected them because of the provocation of his sons and his daughters. And he said, I will hide my face from them. I will see what their end will be, for they are uh, a, I lost my place. For they are a perverse generation, children in whom is no faith. They have provoked me to jealousy by what is not God. They have moved me to anger by their foolish idols, but I will provoke them to jealousy by those who are not a nation. I will move them to anger by a foolish nation. This language points to the future calling of the Gentiles. Israel rejects God. Israel rejects its Messiah, Jesus. And then in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit falls upon the apostles and they preach and the gospel spreads all through the world of that time. Acts chapter 10, Peter goes to the house of Cornelius and the Gentiles are filled with the Holy Spirit and born again, and the church just explodes in all of those regions where the gospel had been taken. Uh, the anger, the aggression, the persecution of Christianity that came to the Gentiles uh, prominently came from the Jews who then inspired Rome to have the same animosity for uh, the Christians. So this jealousy of Israel <coughs> for the Gentiles and for Christianity being referenced there, 32, 22, <coughs> for a fire is kindled in my heart. Excuse me. For a fire is kindled in my anger and shall burn to the lowest hell. Well, that doesn't sound good. It shall consume the earth with her increase and set on fire the foundations uh, of the mountains. Uh, if, you, if you've made God that angry, you can guarantee the outcome's not going to be good. <clears throat> you consider the judgment that comes upon the nation of Israel, you know, 586 B.C., uh, the deterioration is so thorough in the nation as far as they're worshiping God that uh, they they are overthrown in waves and the final wave comes and they're all taken away into captivity in Babylon. And uh, even the carrying away is uh, historically so brutal, it's it's unthinkable. Uh, they, they tortured, they murdered, they pillaged, they starved the people. And when they came and collected their, you know, uh, Holocaust uh, shells of human beings in 586 BC, they were the, their captors were very cruel and uh, put fish hooks, very large fish hooks, uh, through their jaw muscle. They worshipped uh, Dagon, a fish god, and they uh, they would chain them one to the other with their hands tied behind the back as a form of humiliation, uh, often strip them naked, fish hook through the cheek or through the, the jaw muscle, chain to one another, hand side behind their back, and either a, an old man on a horse or a child would be given the lead of the chain and they led them away into captivity. Uh, merciless, uh, cruel, 
punishment. God uh, was not intending or desiring that. It wasn't like he was sitting, planning, and plotting for the day where he could finally pour this wrath out upon the people. These were the nations that they looked to, honored, and began to worship their gods. And essentially what the Lord is saying, look, if your hearts are turned that direction and you go that direction, I mean, what do you want me to do? Okay, consider you guys, and, and people don't like this. You know, it's xenophobic. It's not at all. Here, here's, here's a thought, right? <clears throat> 1945, we almost, you know, are conquered by Adolf Hitler and the Japanese Empire. God, not, not Americans, God saves us from, from that. And we come home patting ourselves on the back about our, our victory. And we roll into the Cold War era of 50 and what? Great prosperity. And we decide we don't need God. And we move into the 60s, right? And a new generation and a sexual revolution and drugs, sex, and rock and roll. And we thoroughly reject God and we begin to look to, right? The gods of those nations, whether people recognize that or not, right? Hinduism, the gurus, the, the Buddhism. Right, yoga and meditation and transcendental meditation and new age mysticism and uh, reject Christianity, reject Jesus Christ, reject God, and turn your hearts to those things. Okay, <clears throat> look what's overtaking this nation right now. If people can say whatever they want to, right? Uh, we're in the midst of an economic collapse. Uh, we're in the midst of, of a social collapse. And, and where are these things coming from? What nations are sending us these circumstances which are destroying us? Are they not the nations that gave us that same Buddhism? Gave us that same Hinduism? Gave us all of this Eastern thought and philosophy? Well, why did we have to look to the Oh, well, you know, they have a lot of things in common with Christianity. No, they don't. They, no, they don't. Absolutely not. You know, my illustration for that, I've demonstrated before. If I took right now the compass, six foot round, here's the position. I draw this massive circle for you here. Here's this giant six foot circle. And, and, and we'll call that God and Christianity. Okay, just for visual illustration. Now we take little tiny one-inch circle of all of that other belief system, right? Psychology, uh, sociology, Eastern mysticism, Buddhism, Hinduism, New Age, transcendental meditation, all that stuff. And, and, and we, they take that little tiny circle and we overlap it. A giant circle, right, representing Christianity and God, and overlap it just barely, like an eighth of an inch. So that those two circles overlap. And then we get real microscopic and look at where that circle overlaps Christianity. And, we, and everybody wants to concentrate on, look, look, look at the similarities. Yeah, right. There are things within those belief systems which also have a commonality inside our faith in Christianity. And historically, if you go back, what you discover is those mystics and those people gained those things from missionaries that went from Christianity into their cultures and taught them those things. They didn't find them in and of themselves. 
little tiny influence. Then you've got to embrace all of the terrible stuff that goes with it. All right? Hinduism, look at India. Caste society. You can literally, the Dalits are, are less than human to this day inside that culture. Right? You have the religious elite upper class. You have the business educated class. And then you have the Dalits, which are the largest caste in their society. They're less than human. You can kill a Dalit and never even be questioned by the police. A few years ago, a young man was in a movie theater. He was a Dalit. Had his feet up on the back of his neighbor's seat directly in front of him. His foot slipped off and he, he touched the shoulder of the man in front of him who was from the educated business class caste. The next day, that man went with a group of Hindus to the Dalit village where that boy was, and they hacked him to pieces with swords in front of his family for touching someone from an upper class. Why do we want to look at similarities and say this is an admirable religion? This is an admirable society. I'm completely accepting of those people. Don't, don't misunderstand me to be prejudiced. Prejudice. What I want for them is the same freedom Jesus Christ gave me. I want them to experience the gospel and come into my faith and be delivered from that horrendous belief system. The Lord is saying to them here, you're going to be taken captive by the very gods, by the very nations, by the very people that took you. The, the laws of God are still in place to this day. If we as a nation have done these things, there is only one outcome. Again, the beautiful thing is you can avoid it. You can move away from these things and not experience them. Verse 23, I will heap disasters on them. I will spend my arrows on them. They shall be wasted with hunger. So now he describes the disasters which he depicts as arrows here. And so we get a list of things, short list of things. I will waste them with hunger, devoured by pestilence, uh, disease, hunger and, and disease, and bitter destruction. I will also send against them the teeth of beasts with the poison of serpents of the dust. Uh, interesting, uh, all of those things came on the nation of Israel. They literally experienced uh, a wasting of their food sources, a destruction. Everyone was starving, and then war brought even more besiegement of their cities and starvation. They, they were literally cannibalizing their own children before it was done. Disease set in bitter destruction. And just all every time you turn around, here's new loss. Here is new loss. Here is new loss. Bitter destruction coming from them everywhere. Teeth of the beast, literal animal attacks increase. You know, animal all of these things are happening to us right now. Right now. We're experiencing the lead edge of these things. Uh, science is literally. Uh, got all kinds of explanation for why the animal kingdom is becoming so emboldened and why we're seeing increase of animal attacks on human beings. What, what in the world is going on? Like all kinds of explanations. Oh, it's, it's, you know, it's environmental infringement. You know, 
people are expanding their territory and moving into the wilderness area of animals. Okay, fine. <laughs> I don't buy it. But okay, fine. Guess what? Animal attacks are on the increase. You know, we've expanded into animal territory uh, the entire time we've been on this continent without stopping. And they move out. Right? They're going into territories that have been occupied for decades and decades. It isn't like we just moved in and set up and started building houses and they were attacking people as we were swinging our hammers and trying to you know, frame up a wall. These animals are going into places where people have lived for a long time. Attacking them is, is really interesting. Um, and there is a particular instance in the nation of Israel where the animal attacks were on the increase so much after... They had been taken away in captivity that the people who lived in the land sent to the conquering king of the Assyrians and said, we must have offended the God of this nation. We, you know, all these animals are attacking us. Could you please send a priest here and show us how to worship this God properly so, so that the God of this territory will stop sending these animals to attack us? You can look at that in 2 Kings chapter 17, verse 27. Uh, 32, 25. The sword shall devour outside. There shall be terror within from young men, uh, for the young man and virgin, uh, the nursing child with the man of gray hairs. Nobody will be safe is uh, what's being said there. You know, in the past, if it was only the very old and the weak and the vulnerable, now it's gotten to everybody. Young men, young women, you know, newborn infants. Uh, you know, very old people. L look at our culture. Look at what is going on around us. Listen, <clears throat> the answer is not some social justice warrior program. It is not. You, you, you cannot organize and construct some community outreach program. I am so bugged hearing churches talk like that. You know, we're a community-minded church. We're, we're, you know, we're more communal. I like to think of us as a communal church. You know, you talk to these people and they come from a school of religious thinking that says they literally, I'm not, I'm not deriving this. They literally teach in their seminaries and their school of ministry that the Bible isn't relevant anymore. That we need to find ways to be relevant to our culture. No. We don't, the Bible is relevant, right? The things I'm reading to you right now about what happened to ancient Israel, isn't it remarkable how similar it is to what we're experiencing in our culture today? It's uncanny where we stand and the things that are going on. And, and, and people are still rejecting God's word. No, no, we need something different. We need a better. We need a different system. No, no, we need to return to what is true. What the, what the truth is, you know, this whole postmodern movement, and you know all of the philosophers that go with it about how you know truth isn't relevant. Truth, there is no truth, is really what they said. You know what's true for you is true for you. What's true for me is true for me. Really, is that that's how it is? Like you want to buy that? Okay, okay. Let's both sign on the dotted line and say that that's okay. Whatever I believe is fine for me, and whatever you believe is fine for you. And, and we'll even, we'll legalize it. We'll go through the process. 
Let's not interfere with one another. Whatever I want to do. What if I'm ultra-violent? What if I'm a complete criminal? What if I want everything you have? Including your life. Well, what, well where does that begin and end? Truth, truth is found in God. Jesus Christ looked at Pilate and said, I am truth. Right? Pilate asked, what is truth? He said, I am truth. There is true truth. It can be known. It is found in God's word. The reason our culture is so adrift is because it has rejected God's word. Hear me in this. Hear me. If it feels like I've just drifted off and you're just sort of in a gray mess of sermon here, hear me in what I'm saying. Okay? If we move one marker, one marker from its position of true, then that means you can move every marker, every single one of them. And our culture started doing this long ago. Okay? An example, one example, and we could use any. I'll use this one because it's, it's big, it's bold, it's graphic. Okay? Move one marker. Say that um, a child's life inside the womb is not life. And we're not even going to go into all the discussions of defining where it is and where it is. Just, just say it's not life. The argument about whether that child gets to live or not has to do with choice. Move that discussion over. We all know what resulted, right? Roe versus Wade. Abortion is legalized. And down that road we go. Okay? Other markers got moved before that. But let's just take that one because we're so familiar with it. If you say that's not a life, and you move that marker. <clears throat> now let's let's talk about other lives that may or may not matter, right? Now let's start talking about quality of life. Because that's that's the argument, okay? The quality of life that unborn child has inside the womb. They're looking at the environmental aspects of what's outside that womb. That child's going to be brought into an impoverished family of drug addiction and crime. And so let's not bring that child into the world. Let's abort that child. Okay. What about the person who's very elderly? Who's very sick? Who's in a lot of pain all of the time in a similar environment? Right? Impoverished, crime-ridden, drug-addicted, sick, end of life. Right? If you're already sitting there right now debating, well, I don't know. Maybe you're right. Right. We moved one marker. Now let's move the other one. Right? Let's just do it. In our discussion right now, we based on the first marker being moved, now let's move the second one. Now that marker gets moved. Okay, well, wait a minute. What about the child... Right, who hasn't developed. They've been born, but they're still very young. And the environment that they're in is cruel beyond compare. What if there's no hope? That child's going to continue on and suffer for the rest of their life. So let's move the marker for that child. What about the person who's in the middle of their life, who's suffering needlessly they have a disease they have a chronic illness they have right fill in all the blanks 
all the markers start moving. Once you move the marker that God established, that God established, people people inside the discussion who believe this <clears throat> say, right, life begins at conception. No, it doesn't. It begins before conception. It begins before the seed is actually touched. The egg. God knew Jeremiah before he was conceived. He spoke of Cyrus, his servant, his shepherd, 150 years before he was born. Life begins in God. That's where life begins. God gave life to everything that lives. Who is the one who hates God? Who is the one who hates the life he has created? It's Lucifer himself. It's Satan himself. Why? Because he violated God's creation and said, I will become God. I will elevate myself above your throne. God said, you're hereby judged to an eternity in hell. He now knows that that's the truth, and therefore he is opposed to God and everything that God has created. And what you're witnessing is inside our culture, it has embraced the philosophy of Lucifer. Humanity has embraced the philosophy of Lucifer. When you listen to the news and you hear this Black Lives Matters garbage, Okay, I, I do mean Black Lives Matters garbage. Black Lives Matter? Of course Black Lives Matter. Every single person, every single life matters to the same degree. Of course. The organization? Criminal. Criminal. The movement? Criminal. You see, yesterday they announced that the organizers of Black Lives Matters have funneled millions of dollars into offshore accounts and purchased the former uh, headquarters of the Communist Party with the money that they've stolen. Who's surprised, right? You didn't know it, but when you hear it, you're like, that oh, makes sense. This culture has rejected God. Don't be part of that. Don't be part of it. Because if you are, you're going to experience all of these things that are being described here. He's going to pour these things out. It's a terror to think of. Everyone in our culture is currently at risk. You know, young men, young women, uh, nursing, child, men with gray hair. I would have said... I will dash them in pieces. This is the Lord speaking. They've made him so angry. Believers have made him so angry by rejecting him and worshiping other things. He said, I would have just shattered them. I, I literally would have smashed them to pieces. Is what God is saying. I will make the memory of them to cease from among men. Won't, won't even know who they were. God will even erase their history. So how do we how do we know everyone that's lived? We don't, do we? We do not. There may have been massive cultures we know nothing about. If you're thinking, oh right, that's probably 
rare. You know, I just uh, Emmanuel Vilikovsky uh, wrote two books, Worlds in Collision and Worlds in Upheaval, and he brings many things forward to present that there were lost societies that we know little to nothing about. Little to nothing about. You know, the terraced gardens in the Andes Mountains above 21,000 feet. So far above the tree line, it's ridiculous. No vegetation grows there, and yet there are terraced garden platforms that have root structures fossilized inside those garden beds, that they grew things there. And, and Vilikovsky says, well, one of two things is true. Uh, either those elevations were at a lower elevation at a time previous in history, and they've moved to that higher elevation, been elevated there through upheaval, which is very unlikely. And he talks about the fact that they're still all perfectly level, right, undisturbed. Or the atmosphere up there was very different sometime in ancient history. There are things about this world we know nothing about. God can erase a whole culture, and we wouldn't even know. There'd be no evidence of them whatsoever. Like, like has anybody seen uh, fossilized remains from Sodom and Gomorrah? No. No, they haven't, right? It's gone. The only record we have of it is in the Scripture when they made God so angry that he destroyed them. There's no earthly evidence of them ever having existed right now. Some may be found. God can erase. When he makes this statement, I would dash them to pieces. I would have erased them from history. This is the power God has. America. Consider that. Right? No? How many discussions have you had as a Christian with people over the fact that America is not listed in prophecy? Why? You read a verse like this, it'll make you think twice. Moved to rage. They had, had I not feared the wrath of the enemy, lest their adversaries should misunderstand, lest they should say, our hand is high, meaning like mighty, and it is not the Lord who has done all of this. We went in there, we destroyed them, we, we overthrew Israel, we overthrew America. God is saying, that's the only reason that I'm not using other nations to do this is for my reputation's sake. I, I'm, I'm protecting my integrity. Why? Because other people need to rely upon me. So they need to know I'm trustworthy. So the only reason that I leave a remnant, the only reason that I leave any memory of them is so that people will know who I am and their hearts might turn to me. How remarkable is that? The whole purpose, you guys, so here, I'll end right there for today with this one thought. What led these people off track was that they became infatuated with the fruitfulness of what their creator had given them. They were infatuated with the creation rather than the creator. We need to be men and women who are overwhelmed in our relationship with our Creator. More than anything, the obsession is 
with the creation. Some various degree of the creation. You know? Our hearts, our, our hearts are, they were designed to worship. And if we're not worshiping our creator, then we have some form of idolatry going on in our lives. I pray to God that every one of us has a heart that is surrendered to the one who brought us into existence. That we seek him, that we long for him. That, that we have this jealousy in our heart. That when we see things creeping in, when we see things rising up, it's appalling to us. That it causes, pray the Lord would do that to your heart. That, that, that he would cause you to have a great sensitivity to who he is and what he is and the fulfillment that he brings. Amen? Amen. Well, that's the time we have. Stand and pray with me.